Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 12. For those of you who have not been with us, we've been studying the book of Hebrews, and we've taken a um, four-part detour to better understand the high priest as we come into chapter 4 of Hebrews. So, first week we looked at the clothes the high priest wears. Second week we looked at the... um, at the responsibilities that the high priest has. This week, a little different, we're going to look about when the high priest fails. Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, or he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now, and I, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she has asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli was very old. And when he kept hearing that his sons were doing all that his sons were doing all to to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is not good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the young man 
Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were, when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings of fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength, the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then, in distress, you will look with envious eye on the prosperity, on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons. Hophni and Phinehas shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and my mind. And I will build him as a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places, that I may eat a morsel of bread. And may God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. This is a tragic text. But I wanted to ask as we start, what happens when man's priest fails? When man's priest fails, what does God do? So we've looked at the high priest the last two weeks and we saw the clothes, how every piece of clothing points to Jesus. How every single piece of clothing calls uh, to mind holiness and righteousness of God and points directly to Christ. Then we saw the actions and responsibilities of the priest and how Jesus fulfills all of those actions and all of those responsibilities. Now I want to ask you, what happens when our version of that, man's attempts 
at keeping the holiness of God fails. That's what we see here. We see here a blatant contrast between the high priest God is going to raise up and the high priest that's there. Eli has two sons, and they are wicked. They are wicked. Now, this ought to automatically, the fact that he has two sons who are wicked, who are abusing the offering, ought to automatically throw your mind back to Numbers chapter 10, where Aaron, the first high priest's two sons, do the same thing. A little less wicked in our estimation, but equally wicked before God. They see and get wrapped up in the rejoicing of the people of Israel, and they take a fire that is not authorized by God, and they swing it before the Lord, and they get all excited, and Nadab and Abihu are suddenly consumed by the fire of the Lord. It's a terrifying story, and it's weird, and it sounds like something you should see on HBO. This is a terrifying picture of God in the Old Testament. And so these two sons are wicked, and their father is blind to it. Indeed, so blind is he that in the next chapter, we're going to hear it say, Samuel, or Eli, was, the light had gone out in his eyes. He was losing sight. Very poetic. The the Hebrew language is, is beautiful when you learn it, and it's incredibly poetic and the way it describes people. Sadness is described as someone's face falling off. Anger is described as fire shooting from the nose. Blindness is described as the lights going dim in the eyes. So in the same way here, Eli is old. In verse 22, we have the situation. Eli is very old, and kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. How they lay with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent. Back in verse 12, you see, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. So, let's start with our first application. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the house of the high priest. Evidently, You can grow up in the house of the high priest of Israel, the one who gets direct voice from God, the one who goes before the Holy of Holies, who's required to do all these holy practices. You can grow up in that man's house and not know the Lord. Now, I don't know if this speaks more to fatherhood or just general wickedness of men, This is just a sad, sad state. Indeed, it's the same state that we see ourselves in in the United States. A bunch of people who, especially in the Bible Belt, a bunch of people who grew up in church that know nothing about Jesus, who can't tell Jesus from a duck. Right? Jesus walked on water, so did ducks. That's the analogy. So, we see this played out in our own world verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Then it tells you the customs of the priest here. Now, uh, I wish that we could go back and just spend weeks in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Um, and maybe we will. I don't, you know, that might happen. But 
for right now, I just want to overview what the, the way the priest was fed is somebody would bring an offering, they'd cook off, they'd burn off all the fat, they'd cook the thing, they'd wave parts of it before the Lord, they'd cleanse it of all the blood, and the priest would get to eat some of that. But it was very specific. He was to wait until the Lord got the choice part. The fat was burned off, and he got what was cooked and remained. It was supposed to be a ceremonial, I mean, for lack of a better term, a ceremonial barbecue. Right? They're supposed to bring this meat and lay it before the Lord and weigh parts of it and drain the blood and then cook it on fire and then give part of it to the priest what wasn't burned off. But these priests have a different way of doing things. And instead of waiting until the things are cooked, they would take this fork and they'd walk over as it's cooking, because I guess they like their steak medium rare, and they would stick it in and try to get as much as they could, and they'd take it for themselves, and they'd go demand the fat for themselves. They'd say, I want the fat. I want the, I want the meat with the fat on it. If you don't give it to me that way, I won't take it unless it's raw and you let me cook it myself. They are more concerned with the flavor and taste of the meat than the offering to the Lord. They are more concerned with the flavor and the taste of the meat than they are with the offering to the Lord. They're more concerned with the way things taste for themselves than they are the holiness of God. Now, these two wicked sons stand before God. Stand before God to be judged. And we see in verse 13, the custom of the priest was that any man offered sacrifice the priest's servant would come with the meat, was still boiling, a three-pronged fork in his hand. He'd pull it out. Uh, he'd thrust it in, and then he'd take it out. And then in verse, the end of verse 14, and this is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So here in Shiloh, where they are worshiping the Lord, Eli and his sons are taking for themselves choice meat. They are themselves grabbing things and keeping things. They're using the utensils that were intended for the worship of the Lord for selfish gain. They're using the gifts they were given for the worship and service of the Lord for selfish gain. For their own pleasures. And instead of deriving the glory of God and the gifts that they've been given, they are deriving their own pleasure and delight in the gifts that they are hoarding. The forks, the utensils, the barbecues, everything is for them. So, this is a sad state there in verse 15. It says, moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest would, priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let him burn the fat first, and then take as much as you want, which is what he's supposed to do. Let the fat burn off first, and then you can take as much as you want. He's not going to accept the boiling meat, which is what he's supposed to be taking, that boiled meat. Instead, he's, he's wanting the, the good cooked barbecue steak stuff. He says, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Just for a moment. Think about how tragic this is. 
you come to worship the living God. You bring an offering and you are ready to prepare that offering, to work hard to make sure that offering is done the right way and you lay it out and then the priest comes to you and says, give me that, I'll prepare it, I want it. And you say, no, I've got, I've got to do this the right way. There's a law. It is written down in the book that you, priest, read out loud to me. It is written down. And the priest looks at you and goes, I don't care. Either give it to me now or I'm going to take it by force. You have brought your lamb that you kept all year and raped. And it comes time to lay that lamb before the Lord. And this priest wants to take it from you and spit on your offering that you have labored over and prepared to lay before a merciful, loving God who would never treat what you bring so callously. Consider that just for a minute and what that would do in your heart as a person. All of a sudden, the representative of God is telling you, you are not ever good enough. You will never be accepted before the Lord. Indeed, so vile are you that I'm going to reject your sacrifice and I'm going to take it and ruin it. Even when I try to do right and bring my sacrifice the right way, even when I try to do right, the system I am in makes it impossible for me to obey the Lord. Think about what that would do in your heart as an Israelite, as a person who's trying to come to worship and all you're doing is trying to come to worship and you get washed over with this religious system that tells you you are not going to be able to do this because even the people in charge of the system are wicked. What hopelessness. Indeed, this ought to land heavy on us because it's what we see in the world today. I come before the Lord to worship and I can't seem to find righteous people. And I am unrighteous as well. What am I to do? I can't lay anything before the Lord. Because my wickedness has separated me from the throne of God. And there's a veil in the way. And not only is there a veil in the way, but the guy in charge of going behind the veil on my behalf is robbing me of the opportunity to meet that need can't get there. This is the state the world is in today. There is no hope in the religious systems to get you to God. So Hophni and Phinehas here are robbing the people. Jump down to verse 22. And Eli, the high priest, who is supposed to go before God on behalf of man, is very old. Hebrew, that's old, old. That's what that said. Old, old. You repeat things in Hebrew when you want to say very. Old, old. He's old, old. 
like old, old. Not just old, but old, old. Right? He's not just old. Don't point at your dad. Not just old, old. He's old. He's very old. So he comes before the Lord, and he keeps hearing all these things that his sons were doing to Israel, and how they lay with the women. This is just disgusting. These, these priests who are married, get that in your head. These priests who are married have harems. And they're laying with the women that are, that are serving. Women who have voluntarily given time and life to serve in the temple. And these priests are abusing those women. Taking advantage of them taking advantage of their status. So the priests are taking the, the offerings from the people. The offerings intended for God, they're taking them for themselves. The position intended for God of cooking and directing and figuring out how much is supposed to be burned off. The position of authority that's intended for God, they're taking for themselves. And now the servants of God, they are taking for themselves. You should have two reactions. One is extreme sorrow, and two is extreme anger. That anyone would take the place of God and rip from the people of God the opportunity to worship ought to infuriate you. And it ought to make you very sad. So Eli comes to his sons, and there's a moment when we think, yes! He's going to stand in the gap. He's going to take the place. He's going to man up. He's going to do what he says. He's going to do what he's supposed to. And it says here in verse 23, And Eli said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear from the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man... God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Now pause. Eli's job is the high priest. He's supposed to intercede on behalf of man to God. Eli looks at his sons and goes, if you fight with another man, we can handle that. God can intercede for that. He can, he can forgive that. He can, he can intercede for that. But if you, if you do this against God, you're taking God's place, who's going to intercede for you? Everything in you should scream, You are Eli! You're supposed to die for them! You're supposed to lay your life down on behalf of the people and go before God in the Holy of Holies one time a year and sprinkle the blood. Eli, you're, you don't get it, Eli. It's your job. What do you mean who's going to intercede between me and God? You are. You're the high priest. It's ridiculous. He doesn't even know his own job. Who's going to intercede for them? You, Eli. That's why you're here what you're here for. But Eli was very old. 
He was old, old. <clears throat> but they would not listen to the voice of their father. So he calls for them to repent. He calls for them, stop doing what they're doing. That's a good thing. Then he misses the point of his job completely. You see, when someone else is behaving wickedly, when someone else is evil, the high priest stands in their place before the Lord and makes atonement for their sins. They bring their offering and he intercedes. But here we've got a blind high priest who can't see anything, who is blind to his son's own actions, who doesn't know how to control his family, who is dealing with wicked, wicked sons. And he can't do anything about it. What are we to do? So Hophni and Phinehas then, if you jump down to verse 27, says, There came a man of God to Eli. I love that this guy's not identified. This is, this is amazing that he's not identified in this passage because often your voice, when it is used of by God, will not be identified. There will come a day when you stand before the Lord and you will realize how the times you spoke out about Him, the times you, you shared the gospel, the times that you spoke boldly of His name before people will be honored by God. And you'll find this crown, according to the Bible, you'll find this crown with jewels in it, and you'll hand it over to the Lord, throwing it at His feet. And yet, your name may never be known here. This prophet of God, this man of God, comes to Eli and says to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I need... Did I indeed reveal myself to the, to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? He asked a question. Didn't I show myself when you were enslaved? Didn't I? And then he says, Did I choose your father out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to the altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me, to be dressed in holy garb in front of me. Didn't I do that? God says to him, didn't I, didn't I do that? Didn't I clothe you in holiness and in righteousness? Aren't I Jehovah Makodesh Kem, the one who sanctifies you, the one who makes you righteous? Aren't I that one? Didn't I cover you in an ephah? And he goes on and says, I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. He says, Look, I gave you everything. I provided for your every need. When people bring sacrifice, you get fed. Don't, don't you? Aren't you taken care of? That's basically what he's saying there. Verse 29, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings that I've commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people? I want you to note that this message comes to Eli. It doesn't go to Hophni and Phinehas. God doesn't bother dealing with the sons. They're just going to die. Instead, he deals with Eli. 
And he says, didn't I, didn't I take your father? Didn't, didn't I bring Aaron out of, the, out of slavery? Didn't I clothe you in an ephod? Didn't I clothe you in holiness? Don't I provide for your every need? Isn't that the case? Don't I do that? Haven't I done that? Then why do you scorn the offerings? By taking the choice meats for yourself. Verse 30. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares. So he lays out the problem. Didn't I do all these things? Didn't I take care of you? Didn't I provide for you? He lays out the issue, yet you've scorned it. You've rejected it. You've turned your backs on it. And he says there in verse 30, Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. This is a very polite way of saying dead, by the way. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. It's, it's a way of saying, you'll be dead to me. So, just for a moment, I want you to feel the gravity of this. The priests have sinned against God. The religious institutions have failed. The high priest himself doesn't understand his own role. And he says, because you've despised me, I'm going to ignore you. You're dead to me. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that is much worse. Being so rejected by God that you are cast out is much worse. I would rather be in a corner where he can see me than be cast out into utter darkness, as Jesus says in Scripture. I would rather be in the corner, disciplined by the Lord, than to be cast out by myself and ignored. That's what God says to Eli and his son, you despise me, therefore you will be lightly esteemed as not an adequate translation. You are dead to me is probably a better one. I mean, at least in our English idiom, it makes a little more sense. You, you matter nothing to me. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will be not an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from the altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the swords of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. What are we to do when we stand before God having been guilty of sin? And the man's high priest cannot do it. What are we to do? Indeed, 
We are cut off from the righteousness, the holiness, the love, the mercy, the goodness of God, and we are exposed only to wrath. Only to wrath. And the word says, cast into outer darkness. That's our condition. Ignored and cast away by the God of life. Are you ready to see what God does? Go back up to verse 11 of chapter 2. Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. When the wickedness of men reign and man seems to destroy our ability to reach, talk to, or connect with God, when that happens, God provides a boy, a little boy, a little boy born of man, born miraculously, a miracle child. We call his name Jesus. The great high priest who stands before us was born miraculously of a woman who should not have been able to give birth. In the same way here in the Old Testament we see this picture, this picture of that in Samuel who is a boy born to a woman who was not able to give birth. Miraculously being born. Sons of Eli were wicked. Go down to verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy clothed with a linen ephah. He's a boy who's born miraculously and he's clothed in holiness. He's clothed in the righteousness of God. He is wearing the ephod before the Lord, serving the Lord. This boy is serving the Lord. And what a beautiful and cute picture. I just want you to imagine this. You got all this wickedness going around, and you got this little boy who is serving the Lord as a priest. How cute is that? Just... Halloween dressed up his kid as a, as a priest, and he's walking around with his with his offering. I don't know what they carry. His censer. I don't know the the things. He's walking around with the the fork. I don't know. And he's he's pretending to be the priest. He's raising the bucket and he's pouring out the water and he's doing the sacrifices as a little kid. The only difference is that this is this is what he's actually doing. He's a little kid acting as a priest. And he's clothed in holiness before the Lord. Indeed, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ clothed himself with our sin and gave us his robes and gave us his holiness. When God sees your wickedness and the wickedness of the world and how you can't make it, how you can't get out, how you can't be free, he provides you a miraculous high priest born miraculously by His hand, sent by God, clothed in a linen ephod on your behalf. Clothed in holiness. And then you've got this cute picture, verse 19, and His mother used to make for Him a little robe and take it to Him each year when she went with her husband to offer yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition. She asked of the Lord, so then they would return 
to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the, the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord. So, three things about Samuel already. One, he is born miraculously. Two, he is clothed in holiness. And three, he grows in the presence of the Lord. Jesus Christ was born miraculously. He is clothed in righteousness, living a perfectly sinless life on your behalf. And he is in the presence of God. What's he say? I and the Father are one. I do nothing apart from what the Father tells me. I am always with the Father. Indeed, he stands even forsaken before the Father, with the wrath of God poured out on him, on your behalf and on my behalf. Because if we're honest about this story, we are the Hophnes and Phineases. We are the wicked ones. And it is by the grace of God that a boy was provided to redeem and rescue us. Is Eli's question, who will go before the Lord on your behalf? Jesus. My high priest goes before the Lord on my behalf. My high priest goes before the Lord on my behalf. And I get to see God because of it. Verse 26, now the young man Samuel, even in the midst of all this wickedness, the young man Samuel continued to grow in both stature and favor with the Lord and also with men. Jesus Christ grew in stature and in favor. He continues to blossom in favor. Just consider that for a moment. We have talked a great deal about the nature of God's creative power. And how even the book of Revelation, when it says it is finished there in chapter 21, what it really means and what that phrase really means is it is born or it is just beginning. I'm just getting started is the way I would have translated it. It's born. God's creative power and his energy and his his ability to amass beauty and to continue to create and move is exponential and infinite. It continues. So Jesus continues to grow. The more you learn about Christ, the more there seems to be to learn about Him. The more you learn about Christ, the more there seems to be to learn about Him. Indeed, He will continue to blossom through your through your vision, if you will continue to seek Him. In verse 35, jump down to verse 35. How does the Lord answer our wickedness? And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Jesus. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who will do what is according to my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, I will build him a sure house. Your throne will be established forever. That's what is said of Jesus. Your throne will be established forever. Indeed, I will build him a sure house, and he will go in and out before my anointed forever. Now, there's a fun play on words here. Before my anointed. It's got this interesting play, and if you read it fast in Hebrew, it could be 
he will go in and out upon my anointed or um, before is adequate, like in front of the eyes of my anointed. But there's a prefix here, and the prefix can be uh, translated multiple ways, but the idea here is that it could also be as my anointed. He will go in and out before my anointed forever. This high priest will go in and out before my anointed forever. God's blessing and anointing will be on this high priest forever. Jesus Christ stands as your high priest, not just now, not just yesterday, but forever. No one will snatch them from my hand, Jesus says. All mine come to me and they are mine. Can't take them. What assurance it brings to know the nature of our Savior, that He goes in and out before the Lord forever, and the pillars of His kingdom stand forever. They don't fall. They don't break. They don't drop. They stand forever. Verse 36, And everyone who is left in Eli's house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. In other words, Eli, your house is going to be starving and desperate. Indeed, aren't we all starving and desperate for the righteousness of God to cover our soul? And yet, what does Peter say? You have become a kingdom of priests. He makes you a priest before God. The high priest Jesus Christ calls you brothers, fellow heirs, no longer servants do I call you, I call you friends. You you and I get to be in service to the Lord God Almighty because of what the high priest Jesus Christ has done in our hearts and in our lives. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That we get to know Him and rejoice in Him. So you've been made righteous because of the righteousness of our God. Because of Jesus Christ sacrificing His life for your sake. What great assurance we have in Jesus. That He stands before us. So we have this this joyous call to repent. For indeed, if we do not repent, we end up like Hophni and Phinehas, burned, dead. The very sacrifices we have stolen from God turn around and we die. And not just death temporarily, but cast out, lightly esteemed, thrown aside and ignored. And yet, if we embrace Christ as we repent and believe and trust in Him, we are brought before the Holy of Holies. The veil has been torn. And we, First Peter, stand before the mercy of God. Hebrews 10, we enter the throne of grace with confidence. And we can stand before God and see Him and be fully seen by Him. Because Jesus is perfect and covers our sin. 
And who can stand before God except the one who is perfect? He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God.